Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Um, this is your first time here at Hill City. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this team. And uh, just really super honored uh, that you choose to spend a portion of your uh, Sunday here uh, with us. Um, we've got a, a couple of exciting things coming up over the next few weeks. We've got um, our birthday, as Corey said earlier, our birthday is next weekend, um, which is really awesome, where we get to celebrate um, uh, number eight, uh, and, um, which is like so crazy just to think as we walk around this building and think about all the things that God has done uh, over these last eight years uh, here together. We're going to celebrate all those things uh, next week. Um, we have got our share offering, uh, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, which I'll talk about that um, at the end of the service. And then uh, baptisms are coming up to, uh, soon as well. If you'd like to get baptized, um, email info at hillcityrva.com. Um, we'd love to dunk you. Okay, so, um, um, but that's coming up soon. So, a couple, like, big things uh, to celebrate, big things, like, to, it's such an easy invite during this season to invite people to church and to celebrate with you, and so it'd be a great time uh, to do that. We're in this series called Devoted. Uh, this is week number five of this series, and we've been taking a look at what does it mean to actually fall in love in Jesus and, and become devoted to that and establish some deep foundational elements to who we are as, as Christians and who we are as a church community um, together. And so we've been taking a look at some, again, this isn't like a, a, a sermon series where it's like, hey, here are the three practical things to, to be more devoted. This is like trying to dig in way deeper at a foundational level so we're rooted in the right things and are strong in uh, the right things. And so each week we've been having like this kind of concept of hey, maybe when we're approaching, uh, even on Sundays, that we're, we're thinking about some things a little differently. And I hope that for some of you guys, maybe walking in has been felt, started to feel a little different because we've talked about having this fear of the Lord, you know, walking in. We've talked about um, not making this common, making the Lord's name common. We've talked about big expectations uh, of what God can do. And, and last week, we talked about the sacredness of, of moments like this when you're gathering uh, with people. And uh, this week, we're going to add like another layer onto, onto to that. Um, how many guys uh, have ever seen like those memes or when you hear someone say like, I was today years old when I, you know, found out something, right? Um, I love those little things and because um, I love like little facts and random facts. Actually, I, like when I get in a scroll hole, it's because like when someone mentions something and I need to close the loop on information, you know, it's like when someone's like, hey, uh, who's that actor that you know, whatever, and I can't handle it. That's like how my brain uh, works, which is advantageous for the Bible, but not necessarily for like normal life. But, but um, we were like talking as a staff, like some funny things of like things that you just like randomly learn and um, that kind of are just again random knowledge. But uh, like, did you know that manatees, uh, you know, their buoyancy, whether they, whether they sink or they float is, depends on whether they fart or not. That's literally how they go up and down in the water, which is like a, now you know, like whenever you see uh, a manatee or like, you know, like random things like in the early 1940s, like the Hollywood sign used to say Hollywood land. Did you guys know that? You can see a picture of it. It looks like super random, but it, it used to um, say that. Or, you know, when something's called a pilot episode, do you know that's because it's the first time on the air? Get that? There you go. There you go. Um, or how about when they say, like, don't break a leg? Do you guys know that one? Um, it comes from, like, Shakespearean time. And because, uh, like, when you bow, you have to do what? Break your leg to bow. And so it was the idea that you would get an applause. So when someone's like, hey, go uh, break a leg today, they're saying, so you bow at the end. You did such a good job for the applause. Anyway, so why do any of those things matter? They actually don't. Those are just fun knowledge things. But the point is, is like sometimes when we get in and we find these random things, it starts making sense a little bit deeper, right? 
Like next time you hear someone say a pilot episode, you're going to be like, you know why it's a pilot episode, right? You're going to think you're really smart when you say that. Here's the reality. When it comes to scripture, the same thing can happen. Um, a lot of times when uh, I read scripture, I'm always fascinated by all the links to other things. That's why so often uh, when I teach here, uh, in, in part of like what we do here as a community is we, we rarely, and I mean rarely, stay in one spot, right? Like we, I want us to see how this links into this bigger story that we're a part of because it's so important in our faith to understand that we're part of something way bigger, that it isn't just about you in your individual faith. You, you are a part of a community, but you're also part of a story that goes back thousands of years and that God has been trying to tell this to his people for thousands of years. And this happened uh, recently and um, when I was reading a story out of Matthew chapter 21. And uh, because, you know, over the past probably six years in particular, um, the Bible has started to come even more alive to me. Like, I can't get enough of it. I can't get enough of studying it. I just, I just love it so much. And I, I used, to, used to think that I loved it before, but I just love it so much uh, more now. And it's because when you start seeing how all this stuff is interlinked and together, you're like, oh my gosh, like first of all, it helps you trust scripture, which sometimes people struggle with. But it also allows you to see how God has been working throughout generations of people. But then you get to see the brilliance of scripture and the brilliance of what the authors were trying to get us to point to. So in Matthew 21, some of you guys might have uh, heard this story before, so it might be familiar. Uh, Matthew was one of the early writers of the New Testament and uh, it's part of the Gospels, which detail out the life and the teachings of Jesus, all right? So it's actually the first book in the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 21, it says this, that Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned, like that's one of the passages that people love about this, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Then Jesus says this. He says, it is written. So when you see something like that in scripture, it's like, all right, so that came before Jesus. So why is he, why is he going back and saying something? He's like, it is written. My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Now I want to pause here for a second. When you see something like this in the beginning, and this is why I think it's always important to kind of dig in a little bit further into things, and why it's so important to dig in a little deeper for our faith. It's like sometimes people say things like, you know, sometimes like we need to like flip tables like Jesus did, right? Like you probably heard people say, you might, you might be like, you know, you got a little mob boss in them, like a little bit like Jesus coming up and like bucking up at people a little bit, like look what you, look what you do it. Like you flip it over, like it's like, right? is that what Jesus is saying here? No. Good answer, right? <laughs> it's not what Jesus is saying. Now, we can take this story because, like, we'd be like, well, what about in the other version when Jesus was whipping people? And it's like, listen, did he actually have a whip? And in reality, probably not. It was probably, um, at best, something was like, it was like a little, like, wispy little thing that he had. And he was hitting the cattle, not people. And secondly, there's even, a, there's even a chance that it was actually talking about the tassels that would have been around his, his garment, um, like Pharisees used to have, and um, they're called fractals. And, and he would go like, kind of like, as he's talking to them, he's like waving at them. And so, so we've got to be careful, again, how we like take in a passage for a second. But, but we're saying, now why would he have overturned the tables? There's, there's something interesting that's happening here that sometimes if we don't take the time to dig a little deeper, we're going to miss out on what Scripture is trying to tell us. So I want to take you back then um, 
to uh, where he said the den of robbers thing, because it's like, all right, well, why is he saying, it was, a, it was written, let's be a house of prayer, and, and you've made it into this den of robbers. I mean, and who are the people that have made it into den of rob- robbers? Were the people, were the people who were supposed to be following God, were supposed to be God's people. And in this whole den of robbers thing, and what they started doing at the, at the money changers element and what they turned the temple courts into was interesting is because at that point in time where they, they put all the tables, it was supposed to be the place where all those people who were not of um, Israel descent, so all the Gentiles, that was the area they were supposed to be welcomed into. But the religious people, that God's people at that time, actually put, created a barrier from those that weren't God's people of coming in. And so God's like, or Jesus is like, hey, this is not how it's supposed to be. And so he does get angry there, right? A righteous anger. Why? Because there's injustice there towards people. And so he does flip the table over to, to prove a point. But when he sits there and he says to them, hey, you've turned this into a den of robbers, here's what he's referring to. In Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah was an old prophet. Um, he was actually called the weeping prophet. And because he just had this bleeding heart for the things of God. And, and some of the things that he would have to say to people um, were so harsh um, but he would receive this word from the Lord and give it to people and, and to God's people. Now again, so whenever you hear these prophets, like he's speaking to God's people. And so watch what Jeremiah says here. He says, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. So you're coming in here. So think about it this way. You're coming into these gates. And, and so modern times, we'll just say you're coming into these doors here to gather to, to worship the Lord. So it's like you're walking in on a Sunday, you, you're worshiping the Lord. He says, this is what your Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust, and here's what I want us to concentrate on, in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other, what's that word there? Say it. If you do not oppress the who, say it. The who? Or the, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then. So whenever you're reading the Bible, it's like, all right, you know, I love to always underline like therefore or so that or then because it's saying like, if you do these things, then I will let you live in this place. And here's what he's saying. I'm going to let you experience me. If you... If you don't fix these things, you won't experience me. You may come into the temple, but you actually won't experience me until you fix these things. So all of a sudden, it's like you're starting to feel the weight of what God's saying to his people. He says, but look, you are trusting, here it is again, in deceptive words that are actually worthless. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known? And then... Come uh, and stand before me in this house. Like we just saying, um, can't wait to get into house. Like this is the kind of the phrasing that's always been used about the gathering of people. Can't wait to get into the house. He's like, so then, then you come into the house, which bears my name and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. He says, has this house, which bears my name, become a, here it is den of robbers to you. But I have been watching. 
I have been watching, declares the Lord. Now, all of a sudden you see that Jesus is referring back to a passage like this. And when he says den of robbers, on the front end, we focus on the turning of the tables and like that there was, you know, he's kind of trying to fix the religious people. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you're like, hold on a second. What Jesus is actually referring to is something really significant. It's referring to, to the way that was, um, God's people were actually acting and the way that they were thinking, the things that they were believing. They were believing in the deceptive words. Now, what were the deceptive words? The deceptive words were they were believing in, um, they had a bad king at that point in time named Jehoiakim, and, uh, and he was leading them astray. And they were buying into kind of the empire-minded world that they saw around them, the kingdom of man. And they were buying into all this language and buying into the way and the culture that, that was trying to the kingdom of man rather than the way that God had set everything up up to that point. And so they were buying into these deceptive words. And and here's what ended up happening when they started to buy into these deceptive words. They started living a life that was really anti what God had set up for them and the rules that had been set up for them. And they started um, uh, uh, acting unjustly towards one another. And that justice, injustice for people, um, stopped becoming at the forefront of who they were as God's people. Like language around it. They were like, oh, justice wasn't a thing anymore. And they were letting innocent people get hurt. And they were so focused on violence, so focused on control, so focused on power, so focused on trying to conquer an enemy with like physical force. It was the exact opposite of what God had set up for his people. Then as that started to bleed in a little bit further, um, they started neglecting widows and orphans. Well, how do you neglect widows and orphans? You come so centered on yourself and you're not generous and you don't have empathy and compassion to the community around you. And it starts changing everything. And so God steps in and he's like, listen, you can sit there and here's what they would do. Get this. They would do all these things and act that way. And then they would enter into the temple and they would say this, we're good, man. We're God's people. So we'll praise God here like this today and then, you know, but then we'll just go out and do the same stuff. And here's what God's saying. And this is why it's like so weighty. Here's what he's saying. Uh, You won't actually experience him and be in his presence until you fix that other stuff. Until you start thinking like people who want justice for those that are suffering injustice. You start thinking about people who like are welcoming in foreigners and have the heart to do that. Start thinking like people who look at those that are in poverty and those that are widowed and those that are orphaned and you're like, man, we want to be overwhelmingly generous. We start thinking about, man, we want to do everything possible to stay away from anything that could be violent in any way, shape, or form, whether that's in our words or in our actions. He says, and what God's saying here is like, until you fix those things, guess what? You can come into this place all you want and act like you're safe, but you're not actually experiencing me. You're not doing it. You've made it a den of robbers. Now, doesn't what Jesus says in that moment about flipping over the table just feel a little bit different? When he comes in, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What you guys are doing is no different than what Jeremiah talked about before. You've made this a den of robbers. And guess what? I think 
there are a lot of spaces that Jesus would walk into today and he'd start flipping stuff over. Not out of anger, not out to like, to like, you know, come at us in like some aggressive way that's trying to make us feel bad and condemn us. He would come at us, but look what you guys are doing. Like this ain't, this isn't a show. This isn't like about, you know, being entertained. This isn't about anything, but it's like, you come in here and it's like, do you really want to experience the presence of God? And if you do, then guess what? You got to start having this like in, internal look at what's actually going on to such a level of being like, am, am I, do I have a heart for justice? Do, do I have a heart for the widow and the orphan? Do I have a, do I have a heart for the foreigner? Do I, do I have a heart for, to have generosity? Do I have a heart to, to really want to experience the reality of who I'm supposed to be when the presence of God is with us? All of a sudden, it changes everything. And we start seeing like, or am I, or am I believing in some deceptive words? Meaning, am I looking to the, the things around me and letting that shape my identity, shape how I think? Am I looking at to other spaces and other people that, that are making me believe like this is who I am or this is how I'm supposed to think? And so I sat with this passage for um, several days and, and, I, and I kept thinking about this, that, that the man, this, this, this whole following Jesus thing and being in the presence of God thing can be very difficult, right? It can be complicated because um, how many of you guys think justly at every thought, right? None of us do. You know, none of us are generous 100% of the time. None of us um, are welcoming in foreigners 100% of the time. None of us uh, with widows and orphans, like we're in it 100%. It's like, it's complicated sometimes because we aren't perfect. And it's complicated sometimes to, to, to follow Jesus. And, and even sometimes like, we might have different opinions on what justice might look like, right? And it gets complicated. I remember uh, when uh, everything with George Floyd happened and everything was happening here. And obviously this goes back, I mean, years and years and years and generations. But the conversation around justice. And I remember um, in, in the same week having a conversation with one person who's like, man, I, I'm so tired of hearing about the, the social gospel stuff. And about, it's all about justice, and, it, and it's not about Jesus. It's just about justice. I'm like, okay. And I'm like taking in what they're saying. And, and of course, in those scenarios, I'm going to have a little pushback there. And I'm going to ask some questions. And, and uh, I'm like, you know, I was like, well, don't you think that, you know, if you look at the gospel message, that justice is a part of the message? Well, well yeah. I was like, but he goes, but it's about Jesus. I was like, sure. But is justice a part of the gospel message? To which he then says, well, yes. And I was like, well, then maybe we need to take justice seriously. And when we see something in our country like racial injustice, then what do we do? We step forward as followers of Jesus and step into the conversation because we see that justice needs to be had if our heart is in the right spot. But did he have a point on some other stuff too, which I actually did agree. He goes, if you want justice without Jesus, you might get justice in a, in for an instance, but if you don't have Jesus eventually, that justice becomes injustice towards someone else. And so it shifts it, right? And so it's complicated sometimes, these conversations. It can, it can feel like a little weighty. And in that same week, I turned to someone else and, we, and we're talking about like um, some different things. And, and it's like, man, the conversation was like so big and everyone was trying to pick, I mean, we've talked about this several times, trying to pick a camp to find themselves in. And I'm like, 
No, 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 no. If we all just pause for a second, it's like, I just, I want to be in the camp that Jesus is in, in the conversation. Then all of a sudden, it's like, hey, we can all breathe together. We can talk together. And it can start to shift and change everything. How many guys have uh, ever prayed for something, maybe even done something the exact right way, have uh, set everything up in, uh, in your prayers, in your community, uh, in your thinking, you've made wise choices, and all of those things lined up, like in the way that you should have done it, you had the right people speaking into your lives, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you prayed, and you still didn't get what you prayed for. It's complicated. Because what if, and here's, here's like part of the hard part, right? What if when that happens, that what God said at the end of that for you was, but you still have me? Would you be okay with not getting what you want, but still having God? But yet at the same time, it doesn't mean your desire was wrong or is wrong or that you shouldn't keep desiring. But are you okay? Are you okay with the answer being, yeah, but you know what? I still get the presence of God in this. I get to experience God in this. And, I, and, and man, the people around me, I'm, I'm making better decisions. I'm, I'm making wiser choices. And it's like, it's hard though. It's so hard because you're, it's complicated. So sometimes when people can stand up and be like, yes, but you prayed the right way and you, had the right, you did the right things and, and just move on. It's like, it's more complicated than that sometimes. But at the same time, there is like part of it, you're like, man, have, have my desires gone beyond God and his presence in my life? And it's hard. It's really, really hard to process. And so when I started processing this even at a deeper level, um, here's what I started thinking about this week. And that was discovering... Um, truth and what it means to discover truth, what it means to explore truth. Because I think ultimately, when we look at another foundational element, we don't necessarily do a great job of this all the time. Where Jesus, for instance, when um, Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at a couple of passages of the Sermon on the Mount here in a second. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest uh, sermon that Jesus uh, preaches. And what he's doing there, he's inviting people, and he's not telling you exactly what to do and how to live your life per se, but what he's inviting us into in that passage <clears throat> is to um, explore what truth really is. Like, do you want to explore what truth really looks like? Do you want to explore um, what the kingdom of God is actually like? Do you want to explore this truth? Now, can, in the next 15 minutes, can I settle what exploring truth is? And the answer is no. But what I do want to do is highlight a few things about truth that I think are really important for us because I want you to see a few things that as we begin to explore this, like <clears throat> part of what we're doing today is trying to explore truth. Now, you may not have thought that coming in here, but again, I want to add another layer to our foundation. It's like, no, I want to explore truth and what that might mean for me. When you think about, um, when, I was, when I was thinking about truth, it's like, you know, there's a saying now, like, you know, live your own truth or find your own truth, which is stupid. Um, it's, it doesn't even make ultimate sense. Um, it just leads to more selfishness and arrogance, arrogance and everything. But however, I will say this. Truth can 
There's a difference between capital T truth and like little small t truth, right? You know, we'll talk about capital T truth and Jesus, of course. And that's the truth that really matters, like the, the capital T. Um, but there's small, small t truths, right? Like truth can be a fact. Like it, something can be true. Like the Red Sox have won more World Series than the Yankees in the last 22 years. That is a fact, right? And so, so that is a true statement. You can't get away from that. Um, but, you know, uh, when I went to college, you know, my, one of my best friend's dad said, C's get degrees. Is that true? It, yes. I have a degree. Like, so, yes, that is true. So there are things that can be true, right? But it's not truth, right? Um, you have, everybody has um, a mental map in their head about truth. Um, and that's just through life experiences. So some things might be true for you and your experience and the way you think and, and how you perceive life because that's just the way you lived and what you were exposed to. And is that true for you? Yeah, there are things that are true there, but it's not necessarily truth. And that becomes what we have to like try and figure out how to keep engaging. And it's really, really difficult. When Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, Oh, I'm sorry. Um, it reminded me of this quote for Christians that um, has stuck with me ever since the first time I heard it. Because it's a daunting quote from Dallas Willard. He says this, Most problems of the contemporary church can be explained by the fact that its members never decided to follow Christ. That we like the idea of coming to the temple and saying, we're safe. But we don't love the idea of exploring the truth of who Jesus is. We don't love the idea of like, Oh, I got I to gotta open myself up to what might need to be corrected or changed. Oh, we got to like really let this go. Oh man, this cultural thing is happening. What does it mean to follow Jesus in this cultural thing and push all the other voices aside, all the other deceptive words aside? How do we focus in on Jesus? And so when Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, here, I'm allowing you to explore truth. I'm allowing you to step into this, and I'm allowing you to see what the kingdom of God uh, is like. And so uh, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. This is a verse that I don't know if anyone has tattooed on them, but here we go. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you think, okay, well, what does it mean to explore truth with this then? Is it to condemn people who lust? Like, how many of us have lusted? I'm just kidding. The, is it just condemn people who have lusted? Or is it to say, no, no, no. Here's the truth you need to explore. What has led you to lust? You see, too often people will focus on the big thing of adultery. And here's what he's saying. But I want you to focus on lust. And not just the reality of lust, but what led you to the lust. And explore the truth of what led you there. Was it shame that led you there? Was it um, lack of boundaries that led you there? Was it um, a hurt or pain that you're trying to overcome? Is there an identity issue that led you there? Was there something that led you there? Explore the truth of what led you there. And then once you find the truth of what led you there, how does the reality of the truth of Jesus speak into it? That's what changes. To begin to explore it in that manner. It changes everything. We start seeing things very differently. Here's another one that he did just a few verses later. He says this, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from who? Say it. Who's the evil one? 
Let's say it. I know we're not supposed to say that in church. Let's say it one real quick. We'll say Jesus later. Ready? Who's the evil one? He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, this will be fun. How many of you guys have voted for someone who you inherently know their yes isn't their yes and their no isn't their no? Be on, do not lie in church. <laughs> We've done this, right? So isn't it fascinating? So this, I, I don't talk a lot about this part of my own personal life in politics. This verse actually in the, in the past election cycle um, was what I focused on. And it led to some funny things in my voting, okay? However, however, isn't it fascinating that we as followers of Jesus, and this is complicated, but this is what it means to explore truth. That we as followers of Jesus will support someone who we know their yes isn't their yes or their no isn't their no. And Jesus actually says that's from the evil one, but yet we will put our support behind it. Now it's complicated, I get it. It's complicated. But what does it mean to explore truth? And we see like what leads us to this thing that it's like, oh, I will support something. And listen, you can even make this individual that you know right now that your yes isn't your yes right now in certain scenarios. And that does not come from Christ. That comes from the evil one trying to work something within you. So it's like, all right, well, let me explore that. It isn't just like, oops, they made a mistake and their yes isn't yes. It's like, no, let me explore this. Why do I feel like it's okay to support that? And how does the truth of the kingdom of God actually speak into it? It's complicated. I get it. But this is what we're supposed to do. If we don't, we will stop welcoming the foreigner. We will allow injustice to happen. We will neglect the, the widow and the orphan. We will step into, we will be violent in nature in our thoughts towards people. And we see that in division and hatred. And we'll step into places that are supposed to be sacred and act like we're safe and we make the name of God common. So to explore, really, to explore truth then begins to really change everything. So what distracts us from truth? You ready? One, the lies we tell ourselves. No one lies to you more than you lie to yourself. And this is everybody in the room. Um, this piece um, and this part was actually the one I prayed for uh, the most out of all the little points I want to make here. Because um, the amount of times that I sit with people, and, and, or honestly, quite frankly, the amount of times I've done this to myself, where you, you tell yourself a lie, and you tell yourself a story, that just isn't true and you allow it to shape your thoughts, you allow it to shape your identity, you allow it to shape your mood. Um, maybe it brings forth anxiety in you or brings forth um, depression in you or brings forth um, bad decisions or... Um, and for some, even, even worse than that. I had a dear friend um, you know, who took his own life um, a few years ago now at this point. But sitting with uh, some people who also knew him recently, and we were having a conversation and hearing them talk about like, yeah, he just, he kept believing these lies that were in his head. And so the, the lies that we tell ourselves, 
Maybe you've said something like, I'm not worth it, or I'll never be enough, or I'm a failure. God couldn't possibly love me, or I've done too much. Those are all lies that we tell ourselves. And the truth of who Jesus is speaks something different And that what Jesus said, I want you to explore this truth, how the truth of Jesus speaks into this, rather than believing these deceptive words that will leave it, lead us astray. The second thing is this. The second way that we get distracted is we lack a lack of confession and vulnerability. A lack of confession and uh, vulnerability. We've said this before, vulnerability is offering yourself up. is isn't just sharing information. It is offering up something with the potential of being hurt, that someone could actually think something differently of you. Um, Thomas Merton um, says this. He says, humility consists in being precisely the person you actually are before God. And this is where it's, it's supposed to start. And since no two people are alike, if you have the humility to be yourself, you will not be like anyone else in the whole universe. And I love this quote because it's having the humility to be brutally honest with God of just who you really are, where you're at, not holding anything back. Because when we're able to do that, then we start telling ourselves the truth of how God begins to think of us. And in that, here's what ends up happening. You start being able to share your true self with other people rather than buying into your false self, which is a bunch of lies and will lead us down the wrong path. So to be people of, to confess and to be vulnerable it requires a humility, an unbelievable amount of humility. Everyone in this room, everyone, um, is broken in some way, right? Everyone in this room, in some kind of way, has probably tried to hide something recently from like who you really were. Everyone in this room is also deeply loved by Christ. Everyone in this room has a savior that loves so deeply that wants to see you healed. Those lies that you've been telling yourself, Jesus has a truth to speak into them. If you'll just be willing to confess, be vulnerable, and allow Jesus to speak into this, because here's what happens. Unconfessed sin leads to the death of something or someone. If you're hiding things in you're holding on to shame or you're holding on to whatever and you're just hiding you're, and you're kind of buying into this false self all the time. It just chips away, it chips away, it chips away, it chips away. Here's the um, last thing that will distract us from the truth. Buying into the temptation to be a narcissist. You probably didn't wake up saying that, but um, we live in a world um, of narcissism, right? Like, uh, I've told this story before, like the story from Greek mythology of Narcissus looking into the water, seeing his own reflection, and he's like, man, you look really good. And he fell in love with himself, right? That is the literal first selfie that we are exposed to, and this is the world we live in. But this whole narcissism thing is, is a reality. It's this idea to be relevant, to be spectacular, right? To be powerful. Um, what ends up happening is you lack empathy for others, you lack compassion. Um, you buy into this false self, and it's essentially the same thing that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus with. I want to do something really quick. Um, so if you guys would take out your phones, um, I wasn't going to do this, but I want to do it anyway, because I want you to see something. Take out your phones, and we, I want to do a quick poll. 
I want you guys to participate in this. And you can go here, go to menti.com, and uh, you'll see your, the first service there. The code's 306 I just wanted you to do this because I want you to see something um, that is just, almost, it's, it's humorous, but also I just want you to see like culturally how this, this happens. So um, you'll see the question um, that's there. <laughs> the social media, I mean social media, I mean like all media, our engagement, right? Does it make you more like Jesus? So far it's pretty dominant. Right? Isn't this crazy? You just process that for a second. All right, now there's a second question, right? Can we go to the second one? Do you spend more time with social media or disciplines of deep in your faith? Be honest, this is anonymous, other than we're tracking your phone. It's, no, it's, um, it's totally anonymous, but be, but be honest. So think about this for a second. Just the ways that we kind of like buy into this. And it's subtle. I'm not saying like you can't be on social media or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But like just being aware of some of the ways that these deceptive words or deceptive platforms or deceptive things that work in and distort the truth of our lives and allow us to explore the truth of who uh, we're supposed to be. I end with this. John 14, Jesus says this, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So if you want to know God, we know and experience Jesus. If we want to know truth, we know and experience Jesus. If we want to experience the kingdom of God and eternal life now, we know and experience Jesus. If you want to be fully known, you know and experience Jesus. And so, when we think about this for a second, I just want us all to pause and think about the story that you're telling yourself, the narrative you've created in your head, the lies you might be telling you, and having a heart here for just a second and being like, yeah, but what's the truth that Jesus says I am? What's the truth of my story? What's the truth? What does it mean to explore this truth? You might be in a really hard season right now. And you might be, um, when I made that reference about something you've prayed for and hasn't come through, and it's been hard and you, it's been crippling to you. But what's the truth of what Jesus says about you? What's the truth of the people around you? What's the truth of the community he's you're supported with? What's the truth of, of the life he has for you? Maybe there's a scenario where um, you've really become separated from a family member, a friend over a cultural issue of some kind, whatever it is. It's like, but man, when I take a step back, what's the lie I've believed that's created this disordered desire? But what's the truth of exploring Jesus? Band, you guys can come up and I just want to give us a second to pause and think. What's the lie you're telling yourself? What does that look like to explore the truth of who Jesus is 
in that lie. We all bow your heads. So God, as we sing this last song that's um, called The Story I'll Tell, I just pray that the narrative that's within our heads and that has began to shape our hearts and the way that we think, that right now, the narrative would start to shift. those lies that keep manifesting itself um, with the story of who you are what you've done allows us to reshape a narrative that we begin to tell and, and that's so that when we're able to talk about the seas that we've crossed and, and that we can actually boldly sing like you know, in the midst of all this, man, all that I've got left is just the highest praise because I've still got Jesus. And that's the truth. And that's where I find life. And that's where I begin to experience what it means to be fully known and fully accepted and fully significant in Him. Will you stand and sing this? <clears throat>